Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, this time I'm going to ask uh, Mike and Maggie to come on up and bring uh, little Hudson with so we can all meet. Come on up. Hi. There's a lot to look at up here. Yeah, it's all behind you. Yeah, all of it. None of it's up here. Yeah. Well, we are uh, excited to do a baby dedication. And, and what we do with a baby dedication is welcome the child into our congregation, into our family. And I look out at this congregation and I see people that throughout the years are going to be Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and friends and involved in their lives as a family. And so we, we come before the Lord, and there's a history in the Bible of doing this. We see in the Old Testament, they would bring their, their children in and make a sacrifice. Um, we see Mary doing that with baby Jesus, and bringing him in and making, making that sacrifice, bringing them into, into the community of God. And so uh, we do dedications not because we have to, um, but because it is something that, that is a scriptural ordinance, something we do like baptism. We don't do this because it saves the child. We still uh, know that that child needs to make that decision on his own. Uh, We don't do this because it looks good to others, although having a baby on stage always looks really good, and we're happy to do that. Uh, We dedicate because we recognize our need uh, for help from God and from a community of believers around us, and we dedicate to commit our, uh, the child to God, our creator. And so that's what we we're gonna do. And, and so you're seeing the, the pictures on the screen and the life verse that they chose. Um, and so we're gonna do, we're gonna do the dedication now. And, and, and what's gonna happen is I'm gonna read a charge to you as the parents and you're gonna respond, we will, God helping us. And then to family, friends, and godparents, I'm gonna have you stand and I'm gonna read a charge to you and you're gonna respond, we will, God helping us. And then, to the congregation, the same thing. I'm gonna have you all stand and read a charge to you that you will respond, we will, God helping us. And in, and in that way, come around this family, almost like concentric rings, all right? So that's kind of what we're gonna do. So we'll start with the charge to you as the parents. Will you, the parents, solemnly promise before God and your church family that you will, with God's help and guidance, raise your child in the Christian faith, model Christ-likeness in your family and neighborhood, diligently teach the scriptures and godly values, and talk about your faith in an ongoing and life-related way. If you do, say, we will, God helping us. We will, God helping us. Great. Uh, Family, friends, godparents, I'm going to have you all stand. Uh, I have one for you as you're able. Uh, I have one for you that I'm going to read, and uh, same thing. Will you, the family and friends of this child, solemnly promise before God and this congregation to support the parents in raising their child in the Christian faith, encourage their child in their spiritual development, communicate with them at significant times in their life, and pray for them regularly. If so, say, we will, God helping us. Excellent. And the congregation, I'm going to ask you all to stand as you are able. Will you, the congregation of Watertown Evangelical Free Church, solemnly promise before God and these parents to receive this child in love, to pray for them, to help instruct them in faith, and to encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of our church. If so, say, we will, God helping us. 
Excellent. All right. Let's see here. Hi. Oh, boy. Yeah, she's right there. You're, you're, oh, yeah, there you go. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here for baby Hudson. God, we thank you for Hudson. God, we thank you for his life and bringing him to our community. God, I thank you for Mike and Maggie as their parents who desire to raise him as a follower of you. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and patience. God, that you would give them direction and guidance. Lord, I pray that you would surround them with people that love you. And Lord, we pray for Hudson, that he would walk in your ways. Lord, that he would grow up knowing who you are, God, and asking him to be a part, asking you to be a part of his life. Lord, we thank you for Hudson and his family, and we pray a blessing over them now. In your name, amen. Can you say hi? No, out here. Okay, all right. Well, I tried. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Please, if you haven't met uh, Hudson yet, please introduce yourself to Mike and Maggie and Hudson and get to know them. Um, it's a it's part of, part of that commitment, right? To be in community with each other. So, uh, But this morning, as we, as we dig into Malachi, we're going to continue in Malachi. We'll be in Malachi 1 this morning. I would encourage you uh, to open your Bibles to Malachi 1, whether that's on your phone or an actual uh, hardcover Bible that you have, whatever. I would encourage you to, to follow along. And I would also ask uh, for a little bit of grace this morning. Some of you came to the Wild Game Feed and you heard a little bit of a story that I'm going to share this morning. But for those of you that weren't there, uh, I think as we talk this morning, we're going to be talking about honor. We're going to talk about godly honor. And, and, and you might notice a theme as we go through Malachi, that Malachi keeps on bringing up these, these questions, these questions about what is honor, what is love? And we're going to keep on seeing these questions come up, and it, and it really centers around a definition. What is God's definition of love? What is God's definition of honor? And that, that pattern, that theme will continue, which is why we've titled the series Great Questions. And so we're going to dig into what is honor, and I thought that um, a great analogy for me when I think about what honor is, is to, re to remember uh, my father-in-law. And my father-in-law built a 38-foot, 14-ton, steel-hauled sailboat in his backyard, I uh, took it down the Mississippi River, across the ocean to Norway, and back. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go sailing with him uh, several years later. So he did most of that before I met him. And then uh, when I first met him, and actually uh, my wife, when she introduced me to her parents, she told me about my father-in-law and his boat, my future father-in-law and his boat, literally like minutes before we pulled into the driveway. So here I am showing up uh, at my, you know, at that time, girlfriend's parents' house, ready to meet them for the first time, really thinking I need to impress this guy. And then she goes, oh, and by the way, he built a boat, sailed it across the Atlantic. Good luck. Um, which isn't what she said at all, but it is exactly what I heard. Um, and so, you know, but years later, I, I, I you know, this, this, guy from Brainerd, Minnesota, marries into the family, and, he, and Jerry calls me up and says, hey, I'm going to go sailing. Do you want to come with me? I'm going to sail from, from uh, Boston to Maine, and so we went sailing. I got very seasick and then ended up uh, recovering from seasickness and having this opportunity, and it was a great trip. 
But we hit something in the Atlantic, and it was big enough it stopped the steel boat. And, and why I bring all that up, and, and again, most of the story I shared at the game feed, and I don't want to you know, share, share it all, all over again because some of you have already heard it, but the reason I share it is because he had a saying that I heard him say as a welder and as a blacksmith, because that was his career, uh, all the time. He would say, steel is real. Steel is real. And I was really grateful that steel is real and that he had that perspective when we were 60 miles from shore and we hit something. Because I'd also spent a lot of years working at Rock Ridge up in the Boundary Waters. And uh, summer camp in the Boundary Waters has lots of canoes, and they have lots of canoes that leak. None of the canoes don't leak. They all leak to some degree. As you're paddling through the Boundary Waters, you just know that the stuff in the bottom of the canoe will get wet because they all leak, because kids hit rocks and kids run into things and kids are expensive. And uh, we had these canoes that would leak and, and I was used to canoes leaking. And I was used to, you know, cause you're like 60 feet from shore. And so if it gets to be a problem, you paddle the shore, you dump the water out, you put it back in the water and off you go. When you're 60 miles from shore, you don't want a boat that leaks at all. That's what integrity is. Watertight integrity matters when you're 60 miles from shore. Watertight integrity matters a little less when you're 60 feet from shore in Minnesota Lake uh, in the summer. But that's, but that's it. And so, so I bring that up because I was really glad in that moment that he used three-eighths inch steel instead of, you know, one-eighth or that he used real steel instead of just some scrap he had laying around. And he actually had another metal sailboat, in fact, it's still up there on the, on the land in Roseau, uh, that has a bunch of, uh, it looks really good. I mean, aside from being all rusty and having pinholes, and if you go inside, it looks like a starry night. But aside from that, it's a great boat. But I'm really glad we weren't in a boat that had a bunch of pinholes and rusty metal and thinner scrap metal on the sides. That integrity was significant. And that's kind of the theme we're going to see here is as we talk about honor, honor and integrity are closely aligned. And, and lastly, I want to get into one more thing, and, and, and it has to do with Hebrew poetry, which is I know why you came this morning to hear all about Hebrew poetry. But this morning, our passage in, in Malachi 1 follows a pattern called the chiasm. And, and we are used to, in our thought process, right? Uh, we are used to, if I were to make, and oftentimes, like if you grab a sermon guide, you'll see there's like four points or three points, or this morning there's, there's five points. We're used to this like A, B, C pattern. And if you have subpoints, you go A, one, two, B, one, two, right? We're used to that thought process. And, and a chiasm functions a little differently. And and chi is Hebrew for the letter X, like that's, you know, or Greek, sorry, Greek for the letter X, chi, chiasm. Um, and, and that's the pattern it has, is instead of being A1 to B1 to, it goes A, B, C, B1, A1. And so it builds in and back out again in this, in this different pattern. And generally that middle point or middle two points um, are your main points. And so it, it, when you read the Psalms, we see this a lot where there's this pattern of repetition, right? And, and, and they're building this argument, they're building this pattern. And so it'll be, the Lord is great because he is good because he is great. 
And you see it kind of builds in and builds back out. That's a really simple one, but that's kind of what we have going on this morning. And so I'm going to kind of try and follow that as best I can. And, and we're going to see that as we try and seek to answer the question of what is honor and what is integrity, really we're building towards something and then we'll build back out from it and answer the therefore questions. And that's kind of the flow we're going to have. And so I'd encourage you to, to follow along that way. And so we're going to dig in. We're going to start in Malachi 1, verse 6, because last week we did the first five verses. And it says this, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who always show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And so the question of honor is posed and God responds. So our first question this morning is, what is godly honor? Once again, the, the definition matters. We're going to center on this idea of what is honor. And, and like the last week, we're going to see this, this question posed by God through Malachi to the people, and we're going to hear their pitiful protest. Well, how have we dishonored you? How have we not loved you? And, and, and reading through it, we can see how pathetic it is, and we should be reminded that sometimes our protestations to God are kind of pathetic when we really think about it. If God is God and we are not, at some level we need to trust and honor that. But I also want to address here that, that there's this, this God as father imagery in there. Where's the honor due me if I'm your father? But there's also this slave and master language. And that can be kind of a lightning rod in our culture today. And, and this is a passage that has historically been abused on that topic. Uh, and, and not only was it abused in our history, but it's been abused throughout the history of the world and continues to be abused. Who people look at it and, and go, aha, see, therefore. And so some will abuse this passage. Others will seek to simply explain it away as irrelevant uh, because slavery was different back then, and others will simply ignore it and move on. But slavery is in Scripture, and therefore we do need to address it, and I wanted to take the opportunity a little bit this morning. And when Israel comes out of slavery in Egypt, uh, one of the first things they do is they get to the mountain of God, and God gives them the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes up on the mountain, they get the Ten Commandments. And that's in Exodus 20, and, and we're actually going to come back there again this morning, so if you want to stick your finger there, you can, but we're going to come back to the Ten Commandments. But what is significant is Exodus 21. Immediately after giving the Ten Commandments, God starts explaining the law, going a little further, giving us a little more. And the first thing that he addresses is slavery. Exodus 21, one through three, these are the laws you are to set before them. Again, he's just given them the 10 commandments. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife, when he comes, she is to go with him. And I don't have time to unpack all of that. And I know, you know, it says servant here and slave there, but the word in Malachi is used both ways. And it's ambiguous in the original language in the same way this one kind of is ambiguous in the original language. And so first of all, I want to say that God, by referencing slavery, is not condoning it. God referencing slavery is not condoning it. God sought first and foremost to protect the vulnerable. 
And slavery was something that the Israelites had just come out of and had seen the abuses and the ways that it had been misused. And so it's, it's significant that the first thing he addresses, he says, hey, now that you're in that position of power, don't you abuse it. Don't you misuse it. So him stating, God stating slavery exists and giving direction around it is not him saying, therefore, it's okay. It's him addressing a power dynamic and an economic structure that existed. And I think it's important that we bear that in mind. But second, also to remember that these passages have been abused. And this one in Malachi specifically has been used as a weapon to say, You as slaves, see, the Bible says you have to respect me. No matter what I do, the Bible says you have to respect me. And I think it's significant that those that use that passage this way entirely miss the purpose of this passage, which is talking about the role of honor and respect due to God because of his goodness, not because just of his power. And there's an implication here that the laws were not the problem, the misuse of the laws from the people in power was. And so for the sake of our passage this morning, as we talk about what that term slave meant and master meant, I don't think that our connotation, our modern connotation, understanding of slavery and the way it's been abused helps us unpack what honor means. Because the point of the passage is not slavery, but the point is honor. And I think when we look at this, we don't see the honor part clearly. And so we need to unpack that a little bit and think about that. Because the slavery in reference here in Malachi and in Exodus 21 is most likely more like indentured servitude. Because we see that those laws in Exodus are gonna go on and unpack a little more this idea that, that when somebody comes in, they're coming in for a short time period. We saw that already. But they're also going to leave with rights and privileges earned over their time. They're not in it for life. And they have rights and protections. One of those rights and protections that we'll actually see come up again in Malachi is the idea that if you have a servant or a slave in your house and you, through abuse, wound them in such a way that they cannot work, you are required to care for them for the rest of their life. That is a protection on them being in a spot of vulnerability. And I think if we were honest about it, the closest parallel we have in our modern society to what I think is being implied here by honor is actually our modern military, where men and women sign up for a time to do a role that is very hierarchical with very clear rules and restrictions upon what they can and cannot do. But when they leave, they leave with certain rights and privileges and compensation. That is the closer parallel, and and I would argue that I think if Malachi were writing today, he wouldn't use slavery because it doesn't get around the honor piece like we are trying to, and like he is trying to. And I think he would have said something more like, a son honors his father and a soldier honors his commander, and God would look at us and go, so where is that honor due me? Where have you not treated me with the honor that I am deserving of? And so with this view of honor in mind, Our understanding of honor here is really twofold. First, it points to God's worth, his esteem. Like I said, the implication of the passage is not because 
God has this position of authority, no matter what happens, we have to. It centers on his goodness. It centers on his worth for being God. It points to God's worth, his esteem. He as God is worthy of honor and respect. And second, it calls us to respond accordingly to that honor and respect, to give that honor and respect. Both are necessary. And again, I think the military is an apt parallel for us because if you as a soldier have a good commanding officer and you simply obey the commands, you've done maybe the respect part, but you haven't done the honoring. There's a reason that soldiers have to salute superiors. There's a reason that soldiers get punished for talking poorly of their commander. The honor and the respect, there's two parts to it. And so this is the challenge set before the people of Israel. If I am God, if I am your good God, where is that honor and that respect that is due me as your good father, as your good commander? Where is that honor and respect? And he references, God references his name. And this is where we go back to, I said we'd go back to Exodus 20 and the 10 commandments. Because one of the 10 commandments is this, Exodus 20 verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And that misuse we often think of as cursing, which is appropriate. I'm not condoning cursing or using God's name in vain that way. But also there are times that I think we, don't, we forget that this passage is talking about also the idea of using God's name irreverently in ways uh, kind of like a rubber stamp. We just stick it on, you know, uh, where we, we don't give it the respect and the reverence it deserves. It's just this, well, God bless you. And, and, and again, you know, if somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you, I'm not saying that's irreverent, but I do think we need to be careful of how quickly we throw God's name to things. Have we thought about, is this something that truly honors God, is good to God? Is this something that we should assign God's name to? Or are we misusing God's name? And so for us today, where do we need to honor God, not just with our words, but with our actions? Where are we like a soldier saying, yeah, God, I'll do what you say. And then turning around and being like, but really, what do they know? Where are we not bringing that honor and respect where is our honor of God not connected to our acts of honor? And our passage continues in Malachi 1, verses 7 through 10. By offering defiled food on my altar, he's giving them the examples. They've asked, how have we not honored you now that we know what honor is? And he gives the examples. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offerings from your hands. And this passage leads us to ask the question, what is good enough? When we talk about giving to God, what is good enough? And, and the question asked here by Israel is almost like a little kid with their hand caught in the cookie jar. Me? How have I defiled you? 
and, and it's directed at the priests specifically who are the ones who, whose job was to verify that a sacrifice coming in to be offered on the altar was worthy, was qualifying. Me? They should know. And if they were allowing subpar animals to slip through, they did know what it meant to offer a dishonorable sacrifice. Deuteronomy 15.21, if an animal has a defect, is lame or blind, or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. And so the critique here from God to the, that the Israelites um, is, is bringing, that, that the priests were bringing these defiled sacrifices. One of your jobs is to verify that the gift coming before the Lord is worthy, is valid, is good. And I can hear the argument in their, ha- in their heads. Why offer a perfectly good sacrifice when it's just gonna die? It's just gonna go on the altar. Why not take this one that's already about to die or that is not as good for the, the you know, whatever the word is, for the growth of my flock. This one isn't good. I don't want this one to have babies. It's weak and lame and blind. Let's sacrifice that one. And the priests are coming along, kind of doing a, uh, you know, wink, wink. Yeah, this one's clear. Let's get that one out of the way. Yeah, yeah, good enough. Good enough for God. What is good enough? And I can see the rationalization. And the example here is the same for us. And, and we'll see that Israel will respond well to this. Uh, because, because we'll see later on, by the time Jesus shows up, they've gone almost too far the other way. They've tipped off into the other ditch. By the time Jesus shows up, he overturns the money changers' tables in the temple. Why? Because they weren't accepting any offering as worthy. Somebody would show up with their, with their lamb or their sheep or their goat or whatever, and it was in great shape, and the money changers would go, oh, no, 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 no. You see, that one's not quite perfect enough for God. And so what I'll do is I'll buy that off of you. I'll give you 50 bucks for it. And then what I'll do is you'll go over here and talk to this guy. He's got acceptable sacrifices for $100. And so go and buy one of ours. That one, that one the, the priests have already certified. You're good to go. And so they, they go almost the other way that God isn't sitting there saying, you know, unless it's big enough or grand enough or, or perfect enough, but also where's your heart? Are you trying to think you can sneak something by God? You know, God won't notice that this is a blemish sacrifice. What is good enough? And I love the charge, bring it to your governor and see what he has to say. And I think that would be a great litmus test for us as well as we think about the offerings and the things that we bring to God. The loopholes that we, maybe we make in our mind and maybe some of us try and make the same loopholes with the IRS. But I think oftentimes we give ourselves a lot more grace in one area than we do in the other. And that's maybe a litmus test for us. Bring it to your governor. And maybe another parallel that would be better would be bring it to your boss at work or your teacher at school. Would they accept the level of effort you put in? And so where do we bring God the good enough that would not be adequate in those other areas? Where do we prioritize our schedule, our time, our sports schedule, our school schedule, our work schedule over our time with the Lord? Where do we put our time, our energy, and our finances, and does God get 
the priority or does God get the good enough? Thankfully, our God is gracious. We know from other spots in scripture that God is good and that God allows his goodness to flow on all of us. But we also have to acknowledge from this passage that not bringing our best to God, thinking we can get away with the good enough, does hamper and hinder our relationship. Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Understand that when we bring the less than we could, the less than we should, when we think that we can offer that diseased or lame animal of our time, of our effort, of our finances, of our generosity, do we not think that will impact our relationship with our God? And Jesus gets to the same heart in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. And God is calling us to do the same. God is not vain sitting up there wanting us to bring the biggest and the best gift, to outshine our neighbor. God is calling us to give and to give sacrificially of our time, of our resources, and of our finances. So how do we honor God when, he knows, when we know he has saved us and yet we try to minimize our cost in worship and energy? Which brings us to the middle of our chiasm, the heart of our passage. Malachi 1.11 my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And this is not a question, this is a statement of fact. Of all the questions being asked of the people, this is a statement of fact. God will be glorified, period. God will be glorified. Why is God worthy of honor? Why is God worthy of our worship and reverence? Why is God worthy of our best? Because he is great. Because he is God. And because he will be glorified. Notice that there are no qualifications in there. If you bring the offering in the way I ask, my name will be glorified. If you, if you do everything right, then I'll go to the other nations. He will be glorified. His name will be great. In every, in every place, incense and pure offerings are brought to me. Why? Because my name will be great among the nations. Our reminder here is what we've already seen, that God is worthy of honor because of who he is in himself. It is not anything that we put on him. He is worthy of it for who he is. And this is reassuring for us to remember, God will be glorified among the nations. God will be glorified around the world. The question is, where will we be? Will we be with God or are we damaging our relationship so much that we will miss out on the blessing of being there? The glory of the Lord is going around the world in ways that the people of Malachi's time would have never thought possible. With airplanes and the internet and email and, and 
cell phones and technology, we can share the truth of God's message around the world in ways that Malachi would not have thought possible. And it's all about God's glory. John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name, Jesus says. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. God is glorified and we must glorify him. And so we are called to honor God because of who he is and because it brings him glory. And it's not something we bestow on God. I think sometimes we think of that as we're bringing our stuff in to church, uh, as, we, as we bring our offerings, our time, our energy to God, we think, here you go, God. You need this. He doesn't need it. We need it. We need to give the glory and honor to God because it is good for us. God is perfect and whole in who he is. He doesn't need it from us. And now we're gonna build out on our chiasm. Malachi 1, 12 and 13, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, which causes us to ask the question, but what's the harm? What's the harm in bringing good enough? What's the harm in bringing close enough? And we've already seen it. The harm is on us. And again, um, let's go back to our soldier analogy. What happens to the soldier who continually berates and dismisses and speaks poorly of their commanding officer? What happens to them? Well, eventually, if they do it enough and it's, and it's uh, bad enough, they, they lose their insignia. They lose their rank. They lose their standing. They lose that relationship. It's taken away. And this is the image we have here. What a burden. You sniff at it contemptuously. That attitude is profane, Scripture says. What a hassle to show up at church. What a hassle to put in the time with the Lord every morning. What a, what a hassle to give and to, to figure it out. What a hassle to invest in other people. What a hassle when that person is a challenge for me relationally. What a hassle when that person wants more of my time and I feel like I don't have it. What a hassle we sniff contemptuously. But what's the harm? Is it really that big of a deal? And the answer is yes, it is a big deal. We profane the holy name of God whenever we sniff at what we are called to do contemptuously by going, really, again, another thing? And so we look at the consequences. Our very worship is at risk. We do not risk God's internal holiness. He is God, he is holy. We bring all the consequences of unholiness on ourselves. And Jesus talks about this when he talks about, you know, when you bring something unholy in and touch the holy in the temple, the holy thing in the temple doesn't make the unholy thing holy. It's the other way. The unholy thing defiles the holy thing. And that's what we do. Whenever we start, you know, profaning and seeing these things that are supposed to be acts of worship as burdensome, we make the worship not worshipful. Again, it doesn't affect God, but it does affect what we get from it. It does affect our benefit. So check yourself. 
And where do we miss out because of our attempts to bring a less than sacrifice to God? And so this morning we again end where we began, where it started, what is honor? Malachi 1, 14, the second half of the verse. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And we end with the same question. How do we honor our king? How do we honor our king? We honor our king by acknowledging that he is worthy. By acknowledging that our job is to worship him to the best of our abilities. To bring in the best we can. That is how we honor our king. Not because it will somehow benefit God, but because it benefits us to honor our king. And I want to end this morning with a great quote from John Piper. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because, peop- because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Now we are called to missions. We are called to bring the gospel out, but we need to remember that worship is a temporary necessity, or missions is a temporary necessity, but we need to do it with a heart of worship. We need to do everything with a heart of worship, whether we're serving, whether we're giving, whether we're singing, whether we're ministering to our friends and family and neighbors. Do we do it with a heart of worship in a way that we seek to glorify and honor our King? So let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are great, that you are worthy, that you are holy. God, that we can't change that. And so Lord, we come to you, we bring our our missional efforts, God, we bring our worship, we bring everything to you as an act of worship. Lord, to glorify your name, to lift you up. And we thank you for that opportunity in your name, amen. A couple of quick announcements before we end this morning. Uh, Ed kind of brought up National Day of Prayer. Just a reminder, we do have, it is National Day of Prayer this week on Thursday. And so Thursday morning, community prayer will be here. And then in the evening, there's uh, an area National Day of Prayer event happening at uh, West Point Church in Delano. So if you can make either of those, we'd love to have you. Uh, There is today uh, the bake sale Uh, going on after the service uh, with the benefits, the proceeds going to Love Inc. and their gas card ministry. Um, So feel free to stop in there, pick up some baked goods, and then make a donation however you feel led. Uh, If you need to write a check, write it out to the church, and we'll get it to Love Inc. Otherwise, there's uh, boxes you can drop cash in there as well. And lastly, uh, as we we talk this morning about uh, uh, giving, as we talk about coming sacrificially, Uh, We don't talk about that a lot here, and so I just want to remind you that you can give and you should give as as a spiritual act of worship. Again, not because uh, we need it, though we do, to do the ministry we do. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But more importantly, because of it, it affects your relationship with your creator. So if giving is something that you have not done, I would consider you to I would, I would challenge you to consider doing that, making that a part of your worship. And if you feel called to give here, uh, you can give online or you can drop it in the box uh, out in the lobby as you leave. All right, uh, we'll end with this from Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.